We're going to move on now to the last exam that you'll see. <coughs> Sorry. No, I'm going to get your mouse. Okay, so grab your ARS. Can we just have the lights up just a little bit, please? So people can read. Thanks. All right, so question number one. Myocardial perfusion imaging has an average sensitivity of what percent to detect obstructive coronary disease? 65, 75, 85, or 95? Yeah, that's right. So the average sensitivity is around 80 to 85 percent. Specificity is around 70. Okay, question two. The most likely explanation of the pathophysiology of stress-induced LV dilatation, or TID, um, reflects stress-induced myocardial injury, extensive subendocardial ischemia, persistent LV dilatation following stress, or all of the above? So, um, you know, the correct answer, and, and this is one of those controversial areas that I, we, we spoke about, I think if the TID is real, if it's an abnormal perfusion scan, for example, and there's TID, uh, really it's extensive subendocardial ischemia is, is thought to be uh, the mechanism. Uh, Stress-induced myocardial injury, um, I, I, I think the idea of that question is this is more this this is manifested as a reversible perfusion abnormality uh, and reversible ischemia um, and, and so um, the, the correct answer is extensive subendocardial ischemia okay, next question the target heart rate to conclude that an exercise stress test is adequate for a 70 year old man is approximately 110 beats 130 150 or 180 Great. So if you just, you know, if you're kind of scrolling through a question, just make sure you look and if they don't give you a percentage maximum heart rate, just you may want to make sure that it's an adequate uh, stress test to do that quick calculation. So a patient, uh, next question four, is the patient's post-stress LVEF may be lower than their resting LVEF due to an increase in catecholamines from stress, higher count rate, myocardial stunning from stress-induced ischemia, or shorter acquisition time?
Okay, good. So again, it's uh, stress-induced ischemia. Five, after eluding a technetium generator, for, uh, the sodium protectinate solution must be assayed to determine which of the following. Technetium uh, activity, molybdenum activity, shelf life of the elution, or all of the above. It sounds so nice when you say molybdenum in the French accent. It yeah, just sounds it's, like it's different. It's pathetic when you say it. <laughs> okay, good. So the, the good answer is for uh, D, all of the above. So don't forget that if you are using your own generator, and most of you, of course, will use a unit dose from a central radio pharmacy, but always check, of course, the technetium activity, but also molybdenum-99 activity, and, of course, the shelf life, because if you prepare a vial as a kit, then you, you need to know when you did label it, so you can use it for six or eight hours after elution. So basically, you are looking at the shelf life of the elution. So all of the above is the good answer. Okay, question number six. If molybdenum, doesn't it sound better with a French accent? Yeah. I'm definitely sure that it sounds better with a French accent. <laughs> is removed from the column during elution uh, process, the activity is considered to be which of the following? Chemical impurity, radiochemical impurity, radionuclide impurity, or quality control error? Good. So C is the right answer. So when we compare molybdenum versus technetium, this is for radionuclide impurity. Chemical impurity will be, for example, alumina column, so aluminum, and radiochemical impurity will be hydrolyzed or uh, oxidized uh, pertechnetate. So good answer is C. Okay, question 70. How are the sensitivity and specificity of MPI affected by post-stress, sorry, referral bias? Say it in, in French. <laughs> <laughs> My neighbor kept me up all night in this hotel. Um, increased sensitivity, increased specificity, increased sensitivity, and decreased specificity, or decreased sensitivity and increased specificity, and lastly, decreased sensitivity or decreased specificity. All right, so most of you got it right, and we spoke at length about this. Um, and this refers to that uh, occurrence when you, when you take a mature modality like SPECT, you very rarely send patients with normal SPECT to CAT. So when you do these retrospective analyses with CAT as the gold standard, you have a population of patients, the majority of who have an abnormal perfusion scan. That's why they went to CAT. This is known as postus referral bias. And it very specifically decreases specificity. That is the primary problem. It decreases specificity, but it also increases sensitivity. And one way around it, as we spoke, is the normal C population. Not the perfect solution, but one solution. So that, that's the right answer. Question eight. Testing the first elution of every generator for, for molybdenum will be performed in order to assure that technetium radiopharmaceuticals will contain no more than 0.15 millicuries of molybdenum per one millicurie of, of uh, technetium radiopharmaceuticals at the time of which one of the following? Elution, administration, kit preparation, or expiration? 
Good, so 52% at the time of administration, so by USP, so the United States Pharmacopoeia, it's effectively at the time of administration. So you have to calculate if there is any problem, we have to know at the time of injection, because in some example, if you do elution eight hours or seven hours before, that might change. So this is why it's very important to do the equivalency at the time of administration to the patient. So this is the way it has to be measured. Question number nine, which organ would most likely receive a dose of 0.3 rems per millicury if molybdenum contamination from elution was administered? Liver, stomach, bladder, or thyroid? So A is the correct answer, liver. So molybdenum is excreted by liver through hepatobiliary clearance. So the target organ will be the liver. Do you want to just take this time and just do the target organs for each of the... Um, oh, yes. Uh, I had a question. Sure. It was, uh, what is the vital organ so, uh, that is affected the most highest radiation dose for each of the three major isotopes? So by vital organ, of course, we mean the uh, target organ. So for thallium, it will be the kidneys, so the kidneys will receive the highest dose, while technician system may be in tetrophosphine, it will be the uh, intestinal, intestinal uh, activity, colonic activity, which will receive the highest dose. So this is the target organ. And this is a question that you might have in uh, board exams because you, you need to know what is the highest concentration of the radio tracer. So this is not the heart. As I told you, the heart will receive only 4% at the maximum of the injected dose. So this is very few in comparison to all the activity that we inject. And we use, in general nuclear medicine, we use system EB, for example, to do whole body bone scan after a thyroid iodine uh, bone study, uh, uh, thyroid study to see if there is any metastatic lesion. So system EB is a very good uh, agent to compare with iodine. So. And when we do that, we effectively see that there is a significant amount of activity into the bowel, and this is sometimes what we see uh, when we have an uh, increased subdiaphragmatic activity that will give rise to artifact. This is something that you're going to see because you have this hepatobiliary clearance, which is very significant for technician system, maybe, and also tetrophosphine. And for thallium, it will be mostly kidneys. Okay, question number 10. Which of the following is a concern for technesium-99 uh, M, quality assurance for the end user. Radionuclide purity, radiochemical purity, chemical purity, or all of the above? Good, all of the above. Of course, radionuclide purity, we want to see if it is a real technetium versus molybdenum. Radiochemical purity, we want to make sure that we have the good form of technetium, which will be injected to, into the patient. And chemical purity for alumina uh, contamination or breakthrough. So all of the above uh, is the uh, right answer. Okay, question number 11. Which of the following statements is true regarding perfusion imaging when a patient has diabetes? Sensitivity and specificity is decreased in diabetics as compared to non-diabetics. Patients undergoing farm stress testing have a similar heart rate as compared to those undergoing exercise stress testing. Prevalence of significant perfusion defects in asymptomatic diabetics is low, and adenosine is the preferred agent for stress testing in diabetics. 
Okay, so this, this, is a, this is an interesting question, and, and the correct answer is that the prevalence of significant perfusion defects in asymptomatic diabetics is low. So let me address that first, and this comes from the DIAD study. Um, and the background to the DIAD study was that there were some observational data sets, especially from the Mayo Clinic, that showed a high prevalence of ischemia in asymptomatic diabetics. And the problem there was in a retrospective analysis, you're never sure that the patients are truly asymptomatic. Why did they really have a stress test? So uh, Franz Wackers and, and that group in a prospective study, when they actually looked at truly asymptomatic patients, they found that the prevalence of significant perfusion abnormalities was about 6%. So very low. And not only was the prevalence low, when they repeated the stress test later on optimal medical therapy, many of these uh, perfusion abnormalities regress. So the concept there is in asymptomatic diabetics, significant ischemia, salt ischemia is low, and so there is no rationale for screening diabetic patients asymptomatic diabetic patients with stress tests. Sensitivity and specificity are not reduced. The two things that are different, one is that a diabetic with a normal perfusion scan has a higher uh, adverse event rate than a diabetic with a, uh, a non-diabetic with a normal perfusion scan. We, we looked at that. The other thing is that the warranty of a normal scan is reduced in diabetics. So these are the two issues that can be tested and for practical purposes, you should know that one, a normal perfusion scan means something different, slightly different, slightly higher incidence of, uh, uh, of, of, of uh, adverse events, and that the warranty period is, is less than the standard warranty period. Anything else I need? Adenosine is not, is definitely, for diabetics who can exercise should be exercised. Always exercise your patients if you can. Question 12. Attenuation correction techniques have the most impact on which of the following? Marked improvement in sensitivity, enhanced ischemia detection, improved specificity, or recognition of transient cavity dilation? Okay, that's spot on. Um, attenuation artifacts produce false positive studies. Attenuation correction. The most effect, now the important thing here is that the most effect is on specificity. Uh, most, the, 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 the uh, multi-center trial also showed a small improvement in, specific, in sensitivity. A small improvement, but the biggest impact is on specificity. Question 13. Which of the following SPECT imaging, imaging uh, results indicates an increased risk for subsequent myocardial infarction? Moderate to large fixed anterior wall defect, increased uh, technetium tetraphosmin lung activity, reversible inferior wall defect, or an ejection fraction of 34%. So that's uh, spot on, 64% got this right. The concept that's being tested here is the differential prediction of acute MI versus cardiac death. So ejection fraction and fixed perfusion abnormalities, so resting perfusion abnormalities, uh, predict death, whereas ischemia 
or reversible perfusion abnormality, some different score predicts ischemic events, so MI. Question 14. Which of the following regions by convention is attributed to the RCA? The apex, the basal inferior lateral, the apical lateral, or the mid infraceptal? Okay, do you want to just bring up that next slide? Okay, so the answer is um, the mid infraceptal. Get familiar with this, okay? This will likely show up on your exam, a question like this. So it may be not that you normally use this criteria, but, but this is what the um, ASNIC guidelines will tell you which stuff is attributed to. So the uh, mid-infraceptal is attributed to the RCA, okay? Question 15. What's the radiochemical purity uh, needed most for, needed for most technetium uh, radiopharmaceuticals? 100%, 90%, 80%, or 70%? Good. Of course, having 100% will be great, but it will be impractical since in about 99% of the time, you will not get a 100% labeling efficiency. So by USP standards, the uh, approved one will be more than 90%. If you inject a patient with a uh, labeling efficiency of less than 90%, you can be accounted for because if there is any bad biodistribution of the radio tracer, it is related to this labeling mislab or mislabeling efficiency. So. 90% or more is the correct answer. Question 16. 99M uh, testamibi localization in the myocardium is due to mitochondrial viability, blood flow, technetium essential cationic structure, or secondary met metabolite product. That's interesting. The correct answer is C. This is only because of the cationic structure itself. That's the first most important characteristic of the compound. Uh, of course, having mitochondrial viability it will be good, but you can still see increased uptake or uptake in the heart even if you have uh, some cells dead. And blood flow is part of it, but this is not specifically the uh, major reason for localization into the myocardium. 17. Which of the following is included in the Duke treadmill score? Presence of ventricular ectopy, duration of ST segment depression greater than a millimeter, exercise time, or blood pressure response? Great. So exercise time, ST depression, not duration of it. Okay, and symptoms. 18, intermediate risk categories for perioperative evaluation does not include angina, history of MI, history of CHF, or abnormal ECG. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I didn't write this question. I, I, this this comes directly from the from the from the flowchart, uh, and uh, intermediate risk categories include angina, history of MI, and history of CHF, but not an abnormal ECG. So that's self-explanatory. Okay, question nineteen. The most appropriate time for evaluation of the asymptomatic post-cabbage patient with stress myocardial perfusion imaging is at six months, greater than five years, one year, or greater than two years. That's great. Uh, so the, the things to remember, one is asymptomatic. So after bypass, if somebody develops symptoms, you can image them anytime. They have a change in symptoms or they have symptoms. But for an asymptomatic patient, five years for bypass and two years for PCI. Question 20. The early identification of ischemia infarction is best assessed by elevated troponin levels, abnormal T waves on electrocardiogram, abnormal acute rest MPI, or ongoing symptoms. Good, so it's abnormal acute rest MPI. Remember that happens earliest in that cascade, that ischemic cascade that both um, Dr. Soman and I showed you. Question 21. A 32-year-old diabetic male with a history of hypertension presents with dyspnea on exertion. His baseline ECG shows a left bundle branch. His current medications include aspirin, atorvastatin, and valsartan. His blood pressure is 142 over 92, heart rate is 88. Um, his height is 5'10", weight is 232. His exam is unremarkable except for some mild lower extremity edema. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step? Cardiac catheterization, exercise same-day rest, technesium sestamibi, and stress sestamibi, dipyridamol uh, rest, and um, uh, sestamibi stress same day, and exercise two-day sestamibi uh, rest and sestamibi stress. Okay, good. So for those of you who, um, you might, because he's large, think that a two-day might be helpful for him because of his size, that you get better images. But remember, he's got a left bundle. So he should have a pharmacologic stress test. So the only one that's appropriate there is C, um, even though you may get better images if you did a two-day. Plus a dual isotope is sort of inappropriate in every circumstance, but you know. Question 22. Which of the following conditions during radiopharmaceutical kit preparation has the greatest potential to influence the biodistribution of technesium-99 labeled compounds? Introduction of oxygen during preparation, adding the technesium-99 um, before reducing the, the, the reducing agent, adding stannous chloride as the reducing agent, or preparing the kit with technesium. Um, Good, so the, the good answer is A, introduction of oxygen during preparation. You remember I told you that into the, 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 the vial, the glass vial, we have one portion which is air-free or contains nitrogen. 
And within the powder, within the product, we have antioxidants. So this is very important because every time you introduce oxygen, then you will modify the ionic status of the pertechnetate, and that will change your labeling efficiency. So you want to avoid that, and this is very important, and this is why we insist when you prepare yourself in your lab, not yourself, but your technologist, will put some, will introduce pertechnetate within the vial, it's very important not to mix with even a small amount of oxygen because that will change your labeling efficiency. Question 23. The molybdenum technetium generator is an example of which theory of equilibrium? First order, secular, specific, or transient? Okay, I thought that one would be very, very easy. So don't forget, the molybdenum technetium generator is a classic example of transient equilibrium. You remember the chart I showed you? So you have a decrease in, a constant decrease in molybdenum activity because it has a half-life of 66 hours, and then you have the slightly increased buildup within the generator with technetium per technetate. Secular will be, the classical example will be the rubidium 82 uh, generator. So the correct answer is D. Uh, again, this is a classical example of transient equilibrium. Question 24. Which of the following procedures is most affected by sterile combating standards USP 797? Technesium perfusion agents, labeled red blood cells, thallium chloride 201, or rubidium chloride 82? That's the correct answer. 62% uh, got it, labeled technician red blood cells, because every time you're gonna remove, if you do a in vitro versus in vitro, it's very important to make sure that this is very sterile. And uh, the most affected will be the, the uh, either red blood cells or white blood cells labeling. Question 25. A poor prognosis in patients with congestive heart failure has been associated with which of the following? Increased total myocardial uptake of I-123 MIBG, decreased myocardial retention of I-123 MIBG, decreased heart to mediastinal ratio of I-123, or increased lung washout. So that's right. So it's, remember, it's that heart to mediastinal ratio, the one that Dr. Soman showed you. If MIBG shows up on the exam, some of the new tracers that are not FDA approved may very well show up. Just know that it's related to heart failure. Just know it's the heart to mediastinal ratio. Those are probably as detailed as it'll get, but just recognize that those are associated. Question 26. The highest correlation with SPECT imaging has been noted with which of the following methods? CT angiography, invasive coronary angiography, intravascular ultrasound, or fractional flow reserve? Okay, so remember, what do we look at with SPECT? We look at 
perfusion, right? So flow. Everything there is anatomic except for fractional flow reserve, which is the only physiologic measurement. So remember, that's what we're looking at. So the answer is fractional flow reserve. Remember that, um, that we're not uh, measuring an anatomic thing. We're measuring um, physiologic flow. Question 27. 74-year-old uh, patient had an acute MI three days ago and underwent PCI of his RCA with excellent angiographic results. Patient also had moderate stenosis in the mid-LAD. Patient just had adenosine spec dual isotope um, MPI, and the results are, you can see below. Based on these images, which of the following would be the best clinical approach? Go ahead and take a minute and look at those. Okay, so let's go to the answers. Perform PCI of the LAD, return to the cath lab for repeat PCI of the RCA, intensify medical therapy, or refer for PET imaging for viability. Okay, so can we go back to the images for yeah. a second? Can you just go back to the images? Thanks. So uh, this is a, a dual isotope study, and the first question is, uh, three days ago the patient had a PCI. What is the purpose of doing a, a perfusion scan? And I'm, I'm assuming from the story that they wanted to look at the hemodynamic significance of the moderate stenosis in the mid-LAD. That was the purpose of doing this scan. Now what you see here is a, uh, a, a predominantly fixed perfusion abnormality in the inferior wall, uh, in the apical infralateral wall with a little bit of peri-infarct ischemia, okay? Um, so if you look at all the options, you have performed PCI of the LAD stenosis, no, there's no LAD ischemia. Return to the cath lab for repeat PCI of the RCA, uh, there is nothing here to indicate that. Intensify medical therapy is always right, always right. The other question is refer uh, for PET imaging of viability, and you may be, um, you know, you may think of using, uh, opting for that uh, particular option, uh, but the RCA is open. They had excellent results uh, with the PCI. So whether the inferior wall is viable or not, nothing more can be done. So it, it's, there's, there's nothing gained by a viability study. Intens intensifying medical therapy is the right answer. Okay, question 28. The spec study shown in the figure below is most consistent with which finding? Go ahead and take a look at that. Okay, we'll put the answers up. Prior infarction in the LAD. Ischemia in the distribution of the proxima LAD, multivessel coronary disease, or artifact due to left bundle. Go ahead and go back to the images. You guys want? I guess the time's up. Okay. Okay. Uh, so let's look at the images. All right. So a couple of things here. Uh, there, there, there is a lot of ischemia in the LAD territory. Is there any other abnormality that, that you can see? So there is TID. So let's go back, let's go back to, to the, 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 the uh, choices. Prior infarction, this is not infarction. 
ischemia in the distribution of the proximal LAD stenosis is correct, artifact due to LBBB is wrong, right? Because it involves the apex and LBBB rarely involves the apex. Now, I, you know, I, I don't think this is a very good question because multivessel coronary disease is, is, is a reasonable answer here because you have a large perfusion abnormality and TID. So uh, either of the two is okay. But, the, but to know that you can get TID with a proximal LAD stenosis without yes. involvement of either the CERC or the, or the RCA, with just a proximal LAD, you can get TID. So I think that's sort of the point of this question. Can we go back to the images? The liver optic. Yeah, that, that's a good pickup. You mean the RV uptake on the stress images? Yeah. So that, you know, uh, it, it's one of those things that you see in the literature all the time that if you have a stress-induced increase in the RV uptake, that may indicate a, a global reduction uh, on the LV side, uh, and that's an indication of, of multivessel disease. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. I mean, I hadn't picked that up when I looked at the images. But again, that's another indication that this might be multivessel disease. I think that, that it's a little ambiguous. You, you, yeah, you just, could answer what, what Just know that you can get TID with just a proximal LAD. It doesn't always have to be multivessel disease. Mm -hmm. Question 29. Which of the following, mo uh, following most affects the technetium yield from a uh, 99 molybdenum uh, technetium generator? Channeling, radiolysis, decayed in 99, technetium 99, or transient equilibrium? Good. Uh, this is the uh, good answer, transient equilibrium. This is why we can obtain uh, technetium 99M from the molybdenum. So this is the uh, correct answer. Channeling, there's nothing with that. Radiolysis, there is no radiolysis. And decay to technetium is part of the process of the transient equilibrium. But the, um, the, the yield of the technetium will be obtained because of the transient equilibrium. Okay, question 30. Which of the following is considered acceptable practice when interpreting SPECT images? Reviewing the rotating planar images only if an artifact is suspected, deriving conclusions based on the polar or the bullseye data, reading the images from either film or paper, or integrating the stress data into the final report? Excellent. So integrating the stress data only after you have made your initial conclusion and then your final conclusion. Question 31. A patient undergoes a rest exercise technetium 99 tetrafosin study. Patient completed seven minutes of a Bruce protocol but did not have any, did not have any symptoms other than fatigue. Nonspecific ST and T wave abnormalities on the resting EKG, which with exercise demonstrated two millimeters of ST depression. Provision study revealed moderate inferior wall reversible defect with a TID ratio of 1.23. This patient would be considered low risk, intermediate risk, or high risk. Okay. 
Well, you know, we talked a little bit about TID, the uncertainties, uh, you know, regarding TID. Now, I think here uh, it's very clear what the examiner wants you to choose, and that's high risk because of the ST depression, the, the, the abnormal perfusion, and the TID. Um, it's, it's, it, luckily, it was not a normal perfusion. <laughs> then, then TID becomes really difficult to interpret, and hopefully you will not get a question like that in the exam. So this is clearly, that's the high risk is what they want to do. Next question. A 47-year-old non-diabetic woman is referred to you after undergoing exercise t uh, testing after developing chest pain while under emotional stress. She had no known risk factors and takes no medications. During exercise, she exercised nine minutes and was asymptomatic. Her peak blood pressure was 195 over 88, and heart rate was 180. She had 1.5 millimeters of horizontal ST depressions at peak exercise. Your next step is to repeat her treadmill exercise, uh, cardiac catheterization exercise, systemibi, myocardial imaging, or begin aspirin and lipid-lowering therapy. So I would agree with the 77% of you that uh, chose to get one further test. Because in this woman, it's, you're still not sure if this is a false positive. It may be due to her hypertensive response. Um, but before you commit her to uh, a diagnosis of coronary disease, it's reasonable to go on and get uh, further imaging um, in, in this woman. Question 32. An advantage of dual isotope imaging is shorter acquisition time less time between rest injection and acquisition, better measure of TID than with single isotope imaging, or better assessment of resting ventricular function. So you're not going to necessarily get shorter acquisition time, but you can get less time between the rest injection and acquisition. Um, TID is actually harder to look at because of the dual isotope. They have different uh, resolution, different uh, energy levels. And then um, uh, the dual isotope, you may not get as good of gating on a rest if you do a dual isotope with uh, thallium. So the answer is less time between rest injection and acquisition. Acquisition time for thallium is actually longer. Longer, it's, yeah. There's more seconds per stop. <clears throat> That's right. Question 34. Which of the following tracers requires an on-site cyclotron for its production? Nitrogen-13, ammonium, rubidium-82, technesium-tetraphosmin, or F18-FDG? Okay, so the good answer is A. The key in the question is the on-site cyclotron for its production. So nitrogen, ammonia has a very, very short half-life. So we need, for nine, nine minutes, we need an on-site cyclotron. Rubidium chloride, rubidium chloride is a generator produced. So we need a cyclotron to produce the strontium, but not the generator. So rubidium is only with the on-site generator. Technetium tetraphosphate, it's also on-site generator, and F DG is, you need a cyclotron, but it doesn't mean to be on-site because it, it has a half-life of two hours. So basically, when we mean on-site cyclotron, that means that you need to have a cyclotron very close by because the half-life is very short. Okay. 
Question 35. When compared to neutron capture uh, production, uh, which of the following statements is true of fission production of 99 molybdenum? Costs less to prepare, has a lower concentration, has higher specific activity, or uses more shielding? Good, so the correct answer is C. It has a higher specific activity, and this is why most of the technetium that you receive is produced with molybdenum derived from um, the uh, production of it with a, a reactor because you have a significantly higher specific activity. That means that your process is better. It costs a little more to prepare, and it has a higher concentration, but it uses the same shielding. So the correct answer is C. 36. Which of the following statements is true regarding the use of nuclear cardiology with regards to subsequent testing and procedures? A is the selective use of angiography after SPECT imaging results in more interventional procedures being performed than when angiography is used as the initial test. B, outcomes are improved if catheterization is the first-line procedure of chest pain evaluation as compared with initial strategy that used spec imaging. C, the total cost of care was lower when selective angiography was performed after spec imaging, irrespective of the clinical risk of the patient. And D, overall cost savings for spec imaging compared with direct catheterizations are approximately 75%. Do you want to do this? Do you want me to do? So this is a question based on the end trial, which looked at patients who went on, were randomized to having an MPI and going on to have selective angiogram based on those results, or those who went directly to catheterization. So as you might imagine, those who went directly to catheterization had higher um, revascularization re procedures and therefore cost. The interesting part is both groups had the same event rates. So the cost of those who underwent selective referral to the catheterization lab based on their MPI results resulted in significant reduction. Wasn't quite as good as 75%, that would be great, but it wasn't quite that good. Um, but just know that it's cost effective to send people in a selective fashion to the catheterization lab based on MPI. So the answer is C. 37. A 65-year-old patient presents with atypical chest pain to the emergency department. Chest pain is ongoing and has lasted for 45 minutes. ECG is normal. The next evaluation should be acute resting myocardial perfusion imaging, cardiac enzyme evaluation times one, immediate cardiac catheterization, or exercise tolerance testing. Okay, that's spot on. So ongoing chest pain, that's the key here, is acute rest myocardial perfusion imaging. And you don't need to um, have normal enzymes for rest perfusion imaging. If you were going to do a rest stress study, you need to exclude an acute coronary syndrome before you give them adenosine or stress them. It would need right. two sets of enzymes. You can't do it on one set of enzymes. Yeah. That's kind of the key to that. Yeah. Question 38. 
Exercise spec myocardial perfusion imaging is recommended for which of the following patients? A 65-year-old man within 24 hours of confirmed diagnosis of an ACS, 71-year-old woman with a history of hypertension and exertional chest pain and LVH on ECG, a 37-year-old asymptomatic man with a strong family history of coronary disease, a 78-year-old man with dyspnea and left bundle branch on ECG. Great, so most of you answered, and I would agree. So she has LVH, not a left bundle. It's okay to exercise somebody with LVH. Um, so that would be uh, the correct answer. So an asymptomatic, so on the exam and in your practice, avoid routinely getting stress tests on um, asymptomatic individuals. That's usually a red flag um, uh, not to do. Question 39. A 55-year-old man presents to the emergency department after an episode of chest pain in the evening, um, the evening before, uh, that lasted approximately 40 minutes. Injection now of which of the following agents would help identify this if this episode was ischemic? Thallium, Cestamibi, I-123, MIBG, or BMIPP? All right, so this again, remote ischemia, right, within 24 hours or so, is fatty acid imaging. Uh, it's a methylated branch chain fatty acid. So thallium, sestamibi, will not pick this up, perfusion abnormalities resolve. Now, there was a question here, which I, I, I think I can answer right now, is with BMIPP imaging, is there a threshold of duration of chest pain before a, a cold spot or, or, or a perfusion image, uh, a perfusion defect, well, it's not a perfusion defect. As a defect is likely to be detected. Um, is five minutes enough, or should it be more than 20 minutes? Now, obviously, there is no human data. Um, and, and Raymond and, uh, uh, and Donna, you can chip in here. Uh, I know that there's animal data, dog models, suggesting that as uh, few as five minutes of ischemia can produce a BMIPP abnormality. Obviously, this is impossible to prove in a human being. Uh, but uh, just uh, ischemia on a treadmill, with that image I showed you, just uh, transient ischemia during an exercise stress study can produce an abnormality. So you don't need prolonged ischemia. Uh, what if the patient has had a prior MR? Well, uh, that area will not, there's no metabolism, right, in that area. So you're going to get a perfusion abnormality in that area. If somebody's so, had an, the question is if somebody had an infarct. Yeah. It will be fixed. Yeah. So question 40. What's the physical half-life of 99 molybdenum? 26 days, 66 hours, 6 hours, or 10 days? Good. So this is a classic question. So just remind that. 66 hours, so we cannot comment on the other, like 26 days or six hours or 10 days. The answer is 66 hours. This is the half-life, the physical half-life of molybdenum. 26 days will be for the rubidium and six hours for technician. Good. So question 41. In the following equation, which parameter represents the target? 
have you guys look at those. Good, so the answer is A. So the way you can remember that is very easy. It's very logical. So you have a target, which is uranium. Then you bombard it with neutron. Then it's going to give uh, fission. And then after that, you're going to have the end product, which will be molybdenum-99. So the target is the uranium. Okay, so the end product would be molybdenum. For the 90%, 19% when sir, uh, D, it's, it's not the target. Okay, the target is the material that will be bombarded to obtain the final product. Good. Question 42. 65-year-old male pre uh, patient presents with atypical chest pain following su successful cabbage surgery one year prior to evaluation. Resting ECG was normal. The next evaluation should include no testing, exercise MPI, dobutamine MPI, or cardiac catheterization. Okay, that's spot on. Most of you got it right. Uh, again, the concept being tested here is uh, when is it appropriate to retest after revascularization? And here the patient has symptoms. So you, it is okay to revascularize. You have a choice between exercise MPI and dobutamine MPI, and the preferred method is exercise unless there's some indication um, that the patient... No, uh, there is no particular reason to do uh, pharmacological stress test no, in cabbage patients. Not. If you can exercise them, you should. Yeah. The answer is always exercise. Question 43. Low cardiac risk is traditionally defined as less than 10% risk of adverse cardiac events over 10 years, less than 1% annual risk of death, lower than average annual risk of adverse cardiac events for a particular subgroup of patients, or less than 3% annual risk of adverse cardiac events? Mm. This is a, this is a, a trick. There's, there's a little bit of a trick question here. So less than 1% is right, but it is annual risk of death or non-fatal MI. Right? So less than 10% over 10 years is less than 1% per year. So that's the right question, yeah. Just make sure you look at what they're asking, death or combined, all right? Just, it's, an important, it's an important point. It's not annual risk of death. 44? I just wanted to wake you all up. <laughs> 44, please. A 60-year-old diabetic man undergoes exercise stress testing. He exercises for six minutes and 30 seconds on a bruise protocol, is asymptomatic, has a half a millimeter of upsloping ST seg uh, segments at peak exercise, and has a heart rate of 145. Spect images are shown below. Compared to a person without diabetes, his cardiac event rate for the next year is? Um, it's either lower, higher, or equal. So go ahead and back to the images.
Okay, go ahead and vote. Boy, 13%, 12% uh, thought it was equal and 1% thought it was lower. Um, maybe you need to test the coordination of your thumbs rather than that. But uh, this is, uh, you know, it's clearly the answer is C. Remember, diabetics always have a higher risk, even it's if they have a normal scan, and that was a normal scan. Question 45. The warranty period of a normal myocardial perfusion scan is known to be shorter in which of the following subgroups? Women, diabetics, those undergoing pharmacologic stress, or patients with left bundle? Okay. Okay. 47, or 46, sorry. A 65-year-old woman is being evaluated prior to surgery for hip replacement. Her uh, history is significant for diabetes, hypertension, and exertional angina. She undergoes stress testing, and the images um, are shown, and we'll put those up next. What's the next most appropriate step in her care? Cardiac catheterization, she's okay for surgery, or refer for further imaging. Can you put up the PowerPoint? Okay, can we come back and vote? So your choices are cardiac catheterization, okay for surgery with periop follow-up, or refer for further imaging. Okay, can you go back to the slide with the images? So you've heard several of us say, look for extra cardiac things, right? Does anybody see anything here? her humongous breast cancer on her right breast. Okay, make sure you look at the whole image. You don't know if her hip pains because she's got a pathologic you know, fracture or something, but she needs further evaluation. This is your opportunity to find her malignancy. Okay, so we'll go to question 47. Aluminum breakthrough from a molybdenum technesium generator is evaluated by electrophoresis, paper-thin layer chromatography, gel chromatography, or, or uh, chlorometric testing. So A, B, and C are three methods to assess radiochemical purity, not chemical purity. So the way to assess aluminum breakthrough is with the colorimetric test. So we just put, you remember I showed you a slide that you just one put, you put one drop of the agent and then if there is alumina, it will become pink. If there is no alumina, then it will be uh, Transparent. So the correct answer is D, colorimetric test. Question 48. Which of the following myocardial perfusion imaging agents is not yet approved by the mm -hmm. FDA? Sestamibi, Teboroxime, Tetrafosmin, or Furofosmin? Furof 
So that's the correct answer. So you remember Fear Fossman has not been approved and will probably never be approved because nobody is uh, testing it. So System AB, Tibaroxim had been approved at the same time and Tetrafosmin three years later. Good. Question 49. A 54-year-old woman with dyspnea and exertion is referred for stress testing. She undergoes stress-only imaging. Her history is significant for hypertension. She exercises for 5 minutes and 20 seconds of her Bruce protocol with a heart rate of 137. It's 82% of predicted max. Exam is term terminated because of shortness of breath. There are 1 millimeter ST depressions that lead 2, 3 in AVF. And we'll show you the images. Which is the most appropriate next in her care? You can obtain a rest study because she's just had the stress. Cardiac catheterization, echocardiogram, or medical management. Go ahead and go up to the slides. So here are raw images. Okay, and the splash. These are just, again, stress-only. Is there a way to do the lights down in the front a little bit? It may be hard for them to see. Is that better, you guys? Okay, it's just for this one. All right, and then the next one. It's a little harder to see up there. Okay, can we go back two ones before? Okay, and go ahead and hit that to play. Okay, and go back to the answers. So obtain a rest study. Cardiac catheterization, echocardiogram, or medical management? Okay, can you guys go back to the, the slides for the, the first one? So again, these are just a couple of questions to get you to look at out, other than just the spec images. Do you guys see the very, very large pericardial effusion that's here? Okay, this is not breast attenuation. When you see it come around, that halo is inside the chest. Okay, so see if you can look. All right, you see how that's not, it's inside the chest. You can go to the next one. It's a little harder to see this, but you can actually see um, a little bit of a D-shaped septum um, when you look at this a little bit up close because of her increased volume. And then can you go to the, um, it doesn't project well in this room, but in here, the, if you can look on the bottom, her RV is very, very small because of her large pericardial effusion. So just make sure when you're looking at these images, you're going to be sitting in a, a room with the lights on at a computer station. Um, it's not going to be in a nice little dark room where you can control all the, all the, the features of it when you're looking at these. So just try to pay attention to the, the rest of the details. We can bring the lights back up so they can see. Question 50. Which of the following SPECT myocardial perfusion imaging agents has the highest myocardial extraction fraction? Thallium, Sestamibi, uh, Tetrafosbin, or Teboroxine? So the correct answer is D. So if you recall the table I show you with the Rolla phenomenon and uh, the, uh, the uptake itself. So Tibaroxim is the first one, followed by Thallium, followed by System AB, and then Tetrafosman 
is the fourth. But the first one, although we're not using it, uh, will be tibaroxam. So the, the good answer is D. That chart that you saw with all those roll-off and the order that they are, make sure you memorize that. I promise you there'll be something related to which one has the, um, has the highest um, extraction and then the, the um, roll-off phenomenon. So question 51. Which of the following definitely is associated with adverse outcomes? Conversion to pharmacological stress for poor, poor functional capacity, TID with normal perfusion in an asymptomatic patient with good functional capacity, SC depression elevation and leads with a prior Q wave during exercise, or an increase in ejection fraction in the stress compared to the rest study? Okay, that's good. Um, as, we, as, we, as we discussed uh, previously, poor functional capacity is a well-known indicator of uh, bad prognosis. TID with normal perfusion in an asymptomatic patient with good functional capacity, I think we have more and more data to show that this doesn't mean much uh, now. Now, ST segment elevation in leads with prior Q waves does not have a bad prognostic indication. ST segment elevation in, in, in segments without uh, prior Q waves has a very bad prognostic indication. But if you have Q waves, it, it is reflective more of uh, dyskinesis rather than uh, true, uh, true transmural ischemia. Yeah? Can get Which patient? Um, but it, yes, but it, it, not, it, the ST segment elevation itself um, is, is not an adverse. I see what you're saying, that the Q wave itself, but if you had a choice, poor functional capacity is a worse prognostic indicator than Q waves on a resting ECG. Uh, so, yeah, and, 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 and the question is what, which of the following is definitely associated with an adverse outcome. The last one, of course, an increase in the stress compared to rest is normal, and a decrease may be indicative of bad prognosis. Question 52. A normal myocardial perfusion scan should be considered false negative and further diagnostic testing ordered under which of the following circumstances? ST segment depression in a patient with excellent functional capacity and no symptoms on a treadmill, all patients with abnormal LV systolic function, typical angina occurring predict concurring at predictably low uh, physical activity, uh, a drop in blood pressure with dobutamine stress. Okay, that's great. great. Uh, I don't think it requires no, any explanation. Exactly. So always go back to the clinical story. Question 53, which of the following PET myocardial perfusion imaging agents has the highest extraction fraction? Rubidium, ammonia, H, uh, o, o, um, o water, or F, uh, FDG? C is the correct answer, so that's very good. So this is the the best agent uh, if we look at the uh, extraction fraction, but we don't use it in clinical practice for obvious reasons. So good answer is C. 
54. Which of the following SPECT myocardial perfusion imaging agents has a neutral charge? Sestamibi, tebaroxime, tetrafosmin, or furofosmin? So the correct answer is B, tiboroxim. All the other agents are cationic complex or cationic charge. Tiboroxim and NOET are the only one with neutral charge. Okay, last question. Which of the following spec myocardial agents is relabeled at room temperature? Sestamibi, tetrafosmin, tiboroxim, or thallium? The correct answer is B, tetrafosmin, or my view, this is the only agent that we don't have to boil. Of course, thallium, we don't boil it because it's readily available. So that was the tricky part of the question here. Uh, but tetrafosmin is the correct answer. Good. Okay. So that's the end of the exam. We'll spend the next probably 10 minutes or so um, answering some of the questions that you guys have submitted. For those of the, you that are running out the back door, thank you for attending. Good luck on your exam. You'll get an email so that you can um, um, go online and do the evaluation and print out your CME certificate. Those of you who are waiting to send that to the CBNC to register for the exam with your uh, CME credits. And um, the exam uh, questions, the answers will be available at the back door. And uh, you'll get an email probably in about three weeks with the audio links so that you can uh, look at the slides and the audio links. So if you've gotten emails from Caitlin, then those will, uh, you'll get that email from her. All right, so you want to go ahead and answer some of these questions? Well, I have a question. It's, uh, do you have any examples of the abnormal thyroid uptake that can be seen with radiochemical impurities during technetium imaging? How much is too much? Uh, well, for cardiac imaging, this is not a real issue. Uh, but as pointed out by Donna previously, it's very important when you look at the heart to look at all the organs surrounding. For example, we can see, we can detect breast cancer, we can detect lung cancer. We can also detect thyroid disease, parathyroid disease, because system EB is the preferred agent for parathyroid imaging. So I've seen, I've detected uh, four or five parathyroid adenoma in my practice just by looking at the uh, cardiac studies. So the thyroid uptake itself will not be a real problem, okay? So it cannot be too much. But for example, if you have 20% of free pertechnetate, the problem is that it goes in the thyroid, but also in the stomach. And the stomach uptake will be fixed. So no matter if you try to, because we use thyroid, uh, we use pertechnetate uh, study to detect some problems in the gastric area. So it remains fixed within the gastric mucosa. So even if you ask the patient to drink, uh, if you do upside down imaging or feed above as you want, it will not disappear. So this is the major problem. So this is why we always ask to inject patient if labeling efficiency is more than 90%. Okay. There are a bunch of questions about uh, four-minute adenosine protocols. The answer on the exam is six minutes. Lots of people do four minutes, but the answer on the exam is six minutes. The same with the time between the same day. A lot of people will do within an hour, will do their stress testing. Remember the half-life of the technetium agents is six hours. So the longer that you wait, 
There's more decay. So the closer you do it together, you lose some of that sensitivity. So just remember, you, you're trading off some of the sensitivity for throughput through your lab. The, it's a, they've moved to, to both of them. I think, remember that the, um, that the exam lags probably about a year and a half to two years behind so they probably wouldn't have something that it's changed. It's, I, the 07 is when the, the um, stuff came out, but the four minute is after that. It got approved after that. So I, I, just be careful on the timing of it. It takes about a year and a half to two years to get into the exam question. So for now, it's probably four minutes. And if it's that controversial, they won't ask that, um, that difference, okay? Do you want to answer some? Go for it. Okay, um, post-cabbage asymptomatic patients should not have stress MPI. Is this also true for just exercise testing without MPI? I think that is true. Uh, any type of functional testing is not indicated if the patient is asymptomatic. Um, that's correct, right? Um, is in, in sedentary, unable to exercise patient with CAD and diabetes? Now, this is, this is an interesting question. Who had a painless presentation prior to PCI, do they need routine spec for follow-up? And this is a tough one, and there are no guidelines, but at least for the test purposes, this is an inappropriate indication. And the question I would ask is, why did they have the first stress test uh, in the first place. And what does it mean? If you have a 70% or 80% stenosis, no symptoms, right? What is the, what is the value of revascularizing that patient? So, you know, if it's a first inappropriate test, and that's really no reason to do a second inappropriate test. That's how I would look at it. But, you know, we realize that individual patients' clinical situations may be different, but for the exam purposes, uh, no. Do two-day protocols increase sensitivity and specificity? The answer is no. In fact, in a two-day protocol, if you, do, you should always do the stress study first, and if that is normal, you don't do, need to do the rest study. On the one-day protocols, uh, we usually do a low-dose rest study first and a stress study afterwards, because many years ago, Dr. Taifair here showed that if you do a stress rest rather than rest stress, you underestimate the degree of ischemia. So no, two-day protocol. If it's done within four hours. So that's very important because you can do a stress rest study, but then you need to wait at least three hours before, because of the uh, uptake in the heart, which is different after a stress versus after a rest study. So if you start with a rest study, we know that the uptake is about 1%. If you do the stress study, then you will double or triple the uptake. So if you do a rest stress injection sequence, that can be completed within four hours, three to four hours. If you do a stress rest sequence, then you need to wait three hours between the two studies. Uh, this question to comment on line source attenuation correction. Um, so this is the concept of an emission scan versus a transmission scan. When you inject the radionuclide in a patient, it is emission tomography, right? The, the photons are emanating from the heart from within the, within the patient, uh, and the gamma camera acquires that. Now, when you do attenuation correction, you use a line source of gadolinium, uh, which actually has 
a slightly higher energy than technetium. I think it's about 156, if I remember correctly. And what happens is that the, there is a line source of gadolinium moving on one camera, and the opposite camera is acquiring this transmission image. Now, the, uh, in contrast to an emission image, the photons are not emanating from the patient, but they're going through the patient. Uh, and this is compared to a transmission scan without the patient. And, and from this, an attenuation map is created and a mathematical equation used to correct for attenuation in the emission uh, images. So that's sort of the principle uh, of, li of line source image. So technetium, the most commonly used line source is gadolinium. Do you have any left? Okay. So a couple quick questions. One asked about uh, adenosine, and if you don't get a heart rate response and a blood pressure chance, can you still read the scan? Do you do anything different? Not everybody gets that response, and you don't necessarily have to have it. It's not a non-diagnostic study if you don't get those uh, hemodynamic changes. Um, and then a question about um, Dr. Teifer's uh, beta blocker study. Um, that was done with Correct me if I'm wrong. We have the, the, the author here. It was done with patients who had pharmacologic stress. So you need to stop the beta blocker before pharmacologic. That doesn't obviate the, the need to stop, um, to stop the beta blockade. Because I remember that completely normalized with high-dose metoprolol, that uh, la large lateral defect. And then if a patient reaches greater than 75% of maximum heart rate, can the images be interpreted even though the ECG data is non-diagnostic? Remember, you need to get to that 85%. You can still interpret it. If there's ischemia, that's fine. But if it's not, you have to say that it's not necessarily diagnostic. Do you want to just mention that or not? Oh, uh, semi of defects. And the question is, when you use the scale from zero to, you know, uh, zero to four or zero to three here, what percentage cutoffs are used on the percentage uptake polar map? I am not aware of cutoffs based on percentage uptake. Yeah, I couldn't find it. Now, the recommendation by ASNIC is a mild defect is one where the perfusion uptake is reduced, but the wall thickness is preserved. A moderate perfusion abnormality is where there is reduced perfusion and thickness, and a severe perfusion abnormality is the count density in the defect approximates background counts. That's how you differentiate between the four categories. But I'm not, I don't think uh, based on the relative uptake there is their criteria. Yeah. I wasn't aware of any other. So. Okay, those are the last questions that we have. We'd like to thank you for coming. Hopefully, if you guys are staying for the meeting, enjoy ASDIC, enjoy Denver. We really appreciate your attention and your... You're getting through the marathon. I want to thank um, Caitlin, who's in the back, who you guys have gotten lots of emails from, who this course uh, would not have gone off without a hitch without her. So thank you very much.